Welcome everybody, this is Brother Frank with another episode from the Remy's Call. We got started tonight at 9 o'clock and sure enough, Blog Talk, which has done several times through the years, decides to just drop me right in the middle of the show and then it leaves me stuck in the queue so I can't host my own show except by dial up and I live up in the mountains and it's rough dialing into the show. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to record it offline and I'll load it right at the end. So God bless you all for sticking with me. I apologize for the technical difficulties, but I know this must be an important show because whenever something's important, there's always tribulation that is there present in these times. And what a better title for tonight's show than Tribulation Faith. The end is near, and folks, it truly is near. And we need to just jump into the show with a word of prayer. Father, in the name above every name, Yeshua, thank you for the blessings that you give. Thank you for uh, tribulations. Thank you for trials. Thank you for things that, Lord, strengthen us in our faith. And Lord, we so often our trials and tribulations they seem great here in the U.S., but truly compared to so many people that are suffering for the for the name of Jesus right now around the world, Lord, our trials are very small, but God, strengthen our faith. We know that this will not always be like this in the U.S. Things will, will quickly go downhill as they already are right now, Lord, but there will come a day when we will be faced with intense persecution, and we have to learn how to trust in you now. Just like Asa learned during the times of peace. So when the times of trouble came, he had already learned how to trust in the Lord. And so, Lord, I pray the same for all of us listening. Lord, those who are listening to the program right now and for me, Lord, that I would simply be a conduit and a vessel in Yeshua's name. Amen. Well, thank God for everybody being here. Thank you that uh, you have just been a blessing, and I'm sorry about the technical difficulty, like I said, happened for those that were listening at live at 9, but you know what? We're moving forward, and this will be uploaded just as about 10.30 this tonight, and so you'll be able to catch it then. Anyways, uh, like I said, the title of my message is Tribulation Faith. The end is near. It really is, and for some people... It might be tonight and it might be tomorrow. And I don't know how much time we have left in the United States before things just get destroyed, which we know it will. It will. But it is coming. And so don't delay. Be ready. It will happen. So when it comes, it will be like a whirlwind. See, there are people suffering right now for the name of Jesus all around the world. And they are going into intense persecution and do you think we're any better than they are? God's no respecter of persons. It is coming to this nation, but it is in his time. And I tell you, the signs, the season, we are now in that time when things are beginning to get very, very volatile. And so we must be ready for what the Lord has in store. And the only way we can do that is if we have that tribulation faith, that faith that says no matter what happens, I will stand anyways. You know, tribulation faith is a different kind of faith because it's a faith that is grown over time and through the fire. It's a faith that is procured in some of the most difficult of situations. But when the faith has been born, 
you find a believer that is unshakable and unstoppable. Unfortunately, though, we've had a mix-up this day and age of what it means to have that kind of faith, whether it's the way we've been taught or we have learned or even ourselves are on our own. But there is a type of faith that is not about us, but it is about the Lord. And I want to dig into that because this is the kind of faith that will prepare us for the times ahead and will deepen the communion as we've been having about the deeper communion series with with brother David Murray. Um, This is what it's about. It's about walking so close to the Lord that you begin to share his very mind and ideas. Look, his ways are higher and his thoughts are higher, but he wants to bring us up to where he's at. So that we get the mind of Christ as the Bible talks about. So let's jump right in. You know, as a converted believer now, I'm 44 years old. For those of you who know my story, my life of drug addiction and how the Lord saved my life and my family in one day. It was a miracle. I left strung out on meth. I came home. I got born again driving down the road outside of church. I didn't even actually know how to get saved. I was raised in a church, a very strict church, a very in, in a church that was very much into obedience. And let me preface in all this message by saying right now, folks, I am a hundred percent believer in obedience. Okay, you don't. Jesus said, "If you love me, keep my commandments." I, I believe in following the commandments of the Lord. I believe they're for our good, and they actually are for our neighbor's good. You know, when you do not uh, lust after your neighbor's wife, that's not only good for you, that's good for him. When you don't steal, that's good for him also. The Lord's commandments were good, um, not only in our relationship, which the first four, our relationship with God, but the last six, our relationship with our fellow man. And I loved, though, when I was raised that the church I went to, the, the deep concepts of the Bible and 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 it was fun as a believer when I was first converted to begin to understand the truth of the word in an even deeper way and and sometimes an even controversial way as I began to dig deeper. I found of, uh, oftentimes that people didn't want to hear what I had to say, but what happened was over time I began to struggle. Um, I struggled very long and hard. But it took me a while for me to finally understand what this struggle was. The struggle could simply be just summed up like this in a very concise and easy to repeat sentence. It just goes like this. Who am I in Christ? Who am I in Christ? See, being raised in that very conservative church environment as a young kid, it obviously didn't stop me from living the ways of the world. I was not converted until I was much older, now 19 years ago, and I'm 44 at this time. There was this undertone, though, in church that such a high expectation after even even knowing it as a young kid, but now being a believer, um, to a calling that very few could even obtain to. And it seemed like those of, of, of them who thought they had obtained that kind of a faith and, and, and everything, they were not always the nicest and happiest of people. But some years ago, I had met a pastor. His name was Bob Clark, a man who had been a Christian of Christians, a believer of believers. He started his early career. He brought down the hammer of the law and he preached it just the same until one day Pastor Clark was doing an evangelistic series 
and he noticed there had been a woman who kept coming night after night. All of a sudden, she had stopped coming to his evangelistic series. So he decided to go out and visit. He went and visited her. He said, hey, you haven't been coming. Is everything okay? She said, oh, yes, everything's just fine. And he says, were the series something wrong? I said, he said, she said, no, not no. He said, well, then why weren't you? Why aren't you coming anymore? She said, well, pastor, I was just waiting for you to start talking about Jesus. You see, he was so much into prophecy and everything else and revelation that was going on and the law and obedience and all these wonderful things that he forgot to make his messages centered on Christ. Well, that lady ripped my pastor to the very core it tore him up so bad he went home and rewrote every single message he had to make sure that jesus was at the absolute center of everything and that experience with that lady was a life-changing encounter for the better that took this man into such a deep walk well i'll tell you what even seven years now after his death all the people I know that know him still talk about Pastor Clark. He was a man like we had never known. He was so confident in the one whom he served and was so strong in his uh, this thought that he in, in belief and understanding that he was not only saved, but that his Lord could carry him through to the very end, that it was so contagious that you couldn't help to by even being transformed by being around him because being around him was nothing more than a reflection of being around Jesus because he oozed Christ in everything that he did. And it was contagious. And you even seeing all these amazing character changes in one man still took me time, though, as a believer, to get down these simple concepts in my life, a concept that fundamentally changes and is changing who I am even to this day. The concept is very simple, and it goes just like this. Jesus is enough. Yeshua is is enough see these three words yet so powerful and at the same time simple and complex jesus is enough he is all that i need and because he is i can be jesus is enough sadly though the same struggle i have struggled with is the same struggle that many believers even now listening to this show are struggling with at this moment and i want to deal with it on this program tonight if you got your bible turn with me to matthew chapter 22 and we're going to start in verse 1 matthew chapter 22 and verse 1 and jesus answered and spake unto them saying by parables and said the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come again he sent forth other servants saying tell them which are bidden behold i have prepared my dinner my oxen my fatlings are killed and all things are ready to come unto the marriage but they made light of it and went their way and one to his farm and another to his merchandise and the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. 
But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then said he unto his ser- to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. I'm going to pause right there before I read any farther. Because we look at this verse and we say, oh, yes, Brother Frank, that's about the Jews. Back in the day, the Lord was calling them and his people, his chosen at the time, they didn't want to answer. They didn't answer. And so the Lord went out and found the Gentiles. And because they, had, they, they entreated those who were believers in Yeshua, they killed them. And, and we see that that is right. That is absolutely correct. But there's something deeper to that, folks, which pertains to us right now as believers today. Because I believe in many churches, we are guilty of the exact same things of treating the remnant of treating God's people unkindly. And maybe you haven't killed them physically, but the way we gossip and we treat others, we might have well just stuck a knife right into their hearts. And we are the same as they were back then. So many today. Because we didn't have time to love other people. And many didn't think that anyone else could be saved. Have you ever fellowshiped with somebody who just had everything right? Oh, I used to go back and fellowship on Saturday Saturday afternoons. You know, I would go back there and spend some time with some like-minded believers and had some nice fellowship on the Sabbath, and we had a great time together until I had been there while enough, and I realized that all their knowledge of the Bible, everything that they thought they knew, there was something that was missing in their fellowships, and it drove me crazy until I had to get out of there. And that was the absence of the Spirit of the living God. Because see, all of your knowledge in the truth of the word of God, if the spirit is not present, it is simply knowledge. And I realized they were some of the meanest, angriest, and unhappy, argumentative people that I have been around. And I wanted no part of them anymore. I could find other people who are more loving and kind and caring to be around and spend my afternoon with. And unfortunately, that is the case in so many places today. So finally, you know what the, 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 he comes back and in verse 10 says, so the servants, excuse me, in verse, uh, in verse eight, then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they, which were bidden were not worthy. And folks, I believe that is talking about many of the churches right now. They were bidden many calling themselves believer, but they are not worthy. They are self-centered, self-righteous, and don't care anything about the Lord. Verse nine says, go you there into the highways and as many as you shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found both bad and good. Did you hear that? both bad and good. I find so often today that the only time we like to bring believers into fellowship is we like to bring them in is when they are almost fully saved because we get upset when someone that is lost acts like they're lost and we condemn them so quickly before we even give them a chance to find the Lord and to get their lives changed around. Thank God he does not treat us the same way as we treat other people's. And so the wedding and the wedding was finished with the guests in verse 11. And when the king came to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, friend, how camest thou hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now, the interesting thing was he had been mingling around here for a while. 
So obviously, it was not noticeable to everybody else that this man did not have a wedding garment on. See, he was wearing something, right? Because you didn't talk about he was feeling uncomfortable. He had been there. It wasn't until he was pointed out. See, I believe this is one of those people, and maybe it's even somebody listening tonight, that you look and smell like a believer. You walk in, around the you know camp of the believers, and you, and you mingle among there. But the problem is you have your own robe on instead of the one that the Lord is providing. And so the other people, they say, well, he looks good. He sounds good. But the truth is in the heart. You're walking in your own righteousness. See, then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. And see, the problem today is the church is packed full of people that are called, but only few are chosen. It's not that everybody doesn't have the right. It's that only some people decide that they're going to take this thing and come all the way with the Lord. And a part of coming all the way is accepting the Lord's garment. But sadly, so many people cannot accept the Lord's garment. See, because of such a lack of value that's been implanted into each one of us, and an expectation from other people that we must be perfect doing X, Y, and Z, many struggle to see if this garment can be purchased instead of being received. Now, you might not understand what I'm talking about. You might be thinking, well, Frank, I would never try to purchase righteousness. I would never try to do that. Well, you know what? Let's hold that thought for a second. Acts chapter eight, starting in verse 14, it goes like this. Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them and that they may receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet they, he was fallen upon none of them, only they that were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of hands of the apostles, excuse me, laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he might receive the Holy Ghost so here Simon he sees what's going on he says man I want some of that I'd like to have some and so he says hey can I buy some and folks unfortunately that's what happens to many believers we come to Christ we see what others have we see the joys and we simply say hey can I have some of that and you might be saying well I don't know what you're talking about I would never try to purchase that. Well, really? Really? You would never try to purchase that. Hold that thought for just one second. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. For the heart is not right in the sight of the God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness and pray. God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven. Now, you might still be confused. How could you possibly be trying to purchase the gift of God? But I want to stop for just a moment before you jump to any more conclusions. You see, when you purchase something, that means the person who you have purchased it from now owes you something. Okay, follow me now here. 
If you purchase something from somebody, they obviously owe you something in return. Think about this. How many of you listening right now keep struggling to be good enough, righteous enough, holy enough, worthy enough, and maybe, just maybe, if you can obtain all these things, then God will truly love you and forgive you. Come on, let's, I mean, let's be truthful, folks. Most of the people listening to this show, you don't have assurance of your own salvation. Now, there are those who do, and praise God for it. But I want to be real talking to many people right now. Your life is like a slinky. One moment you're in, one moment you're out. In, out, in, out. God loves me. Now he hates me. I messed up. Now I'm out. Now I'm, now I'm being good for a few days. Now I'm back in. And your life ends up being like a roller coaster. Because you have this thought, this process that if you can obey good enough, then maybe God will love you and save you. When the truth is that it was while you were a sinner that he died for you, there is nothing that you can do in your flesh to earn that gift of salvation. Yet we keep trying to purchase his love every day by the things we do in our mentality of the life of a believer is completely confused and we end up walking in this terrible, terrible agony of non-stop turmoil, hoping and wanting to be loved by God. Imagine this. You had a child, okay? You t- you, 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 let's say you adopted a child, and you love that child, and you keep trying to tell that child, I love you, I love you. And, and the child says, no, no, I'm not, I'm not your flesh. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not your blood. You don't, you don't love me. And, and the child struggles trying to find your love. And you keep saying, no, you don't get it. I do love you. Would you, be, would you believe what I'm trying to tell you? And folks, I'm here trying to tell you right now that you need to understand that God actually loves you even before you began to follow him and do the things that he said. When you cry out and you call and you say, Lord, I'm coming home, God is ready and willing to accept And he truly loves you and is trying to get you to understand the power of knowing and understanding that you are loved. That it will begin the true transformation in your life into a holy, living believer in the Lord Yeshua. Many, though, struggle with this. And I'm going to read a verse that you all know. But I think it's time that we just ponder it one more time. 1 John 5, 11-13. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath life... Excuse me, he that the son hath life and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the son of God. So the Bible is very specific. The Lord needs you to understand that you have eternal life when you believe on the name of the son of God. How are you going to go out and tell people, well, Jesus can save your life if you don't believe that you are truly saved to begin with? It's hypocrisy. God wants you to understand this, that even when you mess up, he still loves you. I'm not talking about some, you know, false sense of grace that you can live how you want. I've never promote that. I never believe that. But if we don't start understanding that God loves us, and accept forgiveness because 
you know, we think we're so unworthy. And, and God says, you know, you think you're so unworthy. And God says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He didn't say if you're worthy. He said, if you will confess, he is faithful. That's awesome. And many are trapped in their sin and they keep beating themselves up, believing the lies of the devil, that they are eternally trapped in sin and they can never get free from it. And yet the word of God says in John eight thirty four to 36, Jesus answered them saying, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. See, this vicious cycle of desperate want for freedom, and yet the feeling of such a lack of assurance leaves believers feeling so empty here in their flesh, but in their, you know, maybe sometimes feeling decent in their flesh, but the spirit is just miserable. And Jesus said, if the Son has made you free, you are free indeed. Hallelujah. You're struggling and fighting and trying to earn the forgiveness and freedom. And Jesus said, I have made you free. Begin to trust in what I say. And the reason we are so miserable is because we get our value from people in this world instead of the one who created it. God keeps trying to get this message through to us. I love you. I have forgiven you. You are someone in Christ. And God is just wondering at what moment in your life you will finally throw in the towel and believe that Jesus is enough. You see, the key to holy living, folks, is believing the promises of God and then living in the power of those promises. If God says that he's redeemed you, then believe it and live in the power of that. If God says he's forgiven you, then believe it and live in the power of that. If God says he loves you, then believe it and live in the power of that. The Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy. What God is saying is the reason you, us, me, myself can live holy is because he is the one that is holy. And if it's all about him, then holy living has nothing to do with you. But because you believe in God and believe in his promises, his character rubs off on you and you begin to live holy because it is all about him and nothing about you. You see, when the prodigal son came home, he was filthy. He had nothing good to offer his father. He was unholy and disgusting and eating with the pigs. He was as filthy as a Jew could be. Yet when his father saw the brokenness of his child. Listen to what he says. But the father said to his servant, bring forth the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. You see, the son's garments were terrible. But the father says, no, listen, I know you're a mess. You're a wreck, but you've come home. You've come back. And even though you're filthy and disgusting and you have nothing worthy to be called my son, I'm bringing you in anyways. And not only that, but I'm going to put my robe upon you and your filthy garments will be no more. I'm going to celebrate because you were dead and now you are alive. 
You see, folks, you have nothing good to offer, and God says, I've got you anyways. And we can begin to accept the Lord's garment into our lives and quit trying to earn His love and begin to stop, start believing in it. It is life-changing and transforming. Isaiah 61.10 says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with his garments of salvation. He hath covered me with his robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. My question is, folks, whose robe are you going to wear? Whose righteousness are you going to present at the judgment seat of God? Is it going to be his robe? Or is it going to be yours? I'm 44 years old. And I'm finally starting to realize what it means to truly be a child of God in Christ. This is something that no man or woman can rob from me. Because it is a gift from God. I may have taken some years to learn this message. But the Lord knew I always loved him. And he always loved me. And even in my ignorance through the years, he never gave up on me. And now I can say, you know what? He, I am loved. I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. And I can live in the power of knowing that. And when you know the power of being loved and what it's like to love the Lord back, then holy and righteous living becomes second nature. You don't struggle to obey because you're living in his love. You know that you didn't deserve it, yet he did it anyways. You know that you have nothing good to offer, and he offers it anyways. You know that you have messed up again, and he's saying, I will forgive you if you will confess it and come back to him. The Lord left the 99 sheep to come running after you. And when that prodigal son came home, and as he began to crest over that hill, the Bible says the father, when he saw him afar off, he took off running. God comes running when he sees his children coming home. Won't you let him love you even now? This is tribulation faith. The end is near. God has a work for us, folks. It's time to come home. It's time to start living in the power of his resurrection. And understanding what it means to be a child of the living God. Yeah, you might have come from a messed up relationship. Maybe your parents didn't treat you the best. But now you've got a heavenly father that says, I am here. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am here to the very end. I love you. You've been forgiven. And I got work for you to do. You see, God wants us to get healthy. In our walk with him. And this way. We can help share his love. To other people. 
Which one of you, if you had five children and one of them got saved, wouldn't you want the rest of your children to do the same? Yeah, you would. And so you, you, your son, your child or daughter that's saved, we reach out. You want them to help share with their brother and sister. And we want everybody to know because it's all about bringing all the family home in the end. The Lord doesn't want one single person to perish. That's why the Great Commission says, go ye out into all the world. We are to witness to every living creature, it actually said. We are to tell them about the love of God. This is the moment. This is the time. Tribulation faith is about accepting and trusting that God says he can take you even through the darkest of hours, no matter what, because he loves you. And he's put his robe upon you. This is Brother Frank with the remnant call saying good night to everybody. God bless and shalom. Alexa, play Ariana Grande. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Point out the colors of you. I see them too, and boy, I like them. I like them. I like them. We wait to fly to partake in all this hate. We are here vibing. We vibing. We vibing. Alexa, play Ariana Grande. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today.